SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, your home for G5 football. This is, of course, the AAC edition of the Underdog Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Brobeck. That is Dan Morrison. We have a few fun topics to discuss today. One of them might get a little uh, interesting, and uh, then we'll have a preview of a, a mega podcast, is what we're calling yes. it. Next uh, next week, I believe, is when we'll be recording that. So let's just dive right into it. So uh, Dan doesn't know this first part. I just put it yeah. on here. <laughs> so And I'm actually going to switch it up on you. Originally, I had Quentin okay. Nelson just because you're a Notre Dame guy, but since this is an AAC podcast, we're going to use Ed Oliver in this situation. Okay. So... And I'm switching to the dollar amount too. So you get you get ten million dollars, okay. just one time ten million dollars. But every single year, Ed Oliver in his prime gets to lay you out. Do you take the ten million dollars? Ten million dollars. This is yeah. a two hundred seventy pound individual who yeah. could put you in a coma if he hit you hard enough. Every I year. Think, am I wearing a helmet and pads? I mean. Nope, nope. Uh, no. He's, he's not he wearing, wearing helmet, helmet and pads. pads. Well, he might be if you're on the field, but okay. I still think I do it. I still, I'll go yeah. straight up into it for ten million dollars. Yeah, I've got student loans. <laughs> Man, that is, uh, I, I would not do it. Yeah, you originally had Quentin Nelson one million dollars. I think I would still do that too. That's just, but, uh, oh man, that would just hurt so much. Think about how much that would hurt. Yeah, it would be actively unpleasant, but I think I could wipe the tears away with my big check. That's fair. That's fair. I figured we're in we're in the off season, so we're not going to always yeah. do a ton of heated discussions or in depth analysis. So I, I was thinking yeah. about that, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. A hit is one thing uh you know if like someone was throwing like a baseball at me every year that's a little different but uh, i I don't know i I, maybe i'm just not tough enough to take something like that but that just seems like a a bad time i don't know maybe i'm just a little bit younger than you then then i can still take the hit and bounce up you know what that's just fine if you if you want to go down (laughs) that road take 10 million dollars be my guest Yeah, I mean, there's no skill to it. So that's the other thing. It's not like I have to break in at all of our tackle. I have to don't have to like throw a football next to <laughs> on distance. There's nothing to be embarrassed. It's just gonna right, get hit. Yeah, seriously. Oh my gosh, seriously. All right. Well, that was that was fun. I was curious to hear what you were gonna say. I figured you'd take the ten million, but yeah, you just never know. We're gonna jump into a, another fun topic, one that gathered a ton of t- attention uh, this past in the past couple weeks. And that's UCF's jerseys in their spring game. Now, yeah. if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock, UCF allowed all of their players to put their Twitter handles on the back of their jerseys for their nameplates. Now, normally they do a last name. Sometimes it's a first initial and a last name. But it was a spring game, and Gus Malzahn said that they're embracing the future. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're embracing that these kids are eventually going to have the ability to market themselves as a brand and. You know, there were strong reactions both ways. I don't think anybody was very neutral on this. I think there are a lot of people that loved it, and then there were a lot of people that hated it. I think I know how you feel, but how did you feel about those jerseys? I thought that's a good idea overall to get that out there because NIL is going to be coming one way or the other. You know, it's getting argued in at the Supreme Court level right now. And if you look around the country, every college is looking into ways that they can make this the future. You know, they're talking to their business schools. They're talking to third parties about how can we start marketing players? Because if you don't market players, you're not going to get players anymore in Florida this summer. NIL becomes a law in the state. Uh, So this is UCF really preparing for that. I think they look a little bit goofy on the back of the uniforms like that, but it's the spring game and, who cares about that? If it's just first off, it makes the players happy. Second off, it's helping them market and really it's a recruiting pitch saying, look, we're on your side for NIL stuff. So yeah, I 
a little goofy looking, but it doesn't bother me at all. I think it's a good idea. I think it's the, it is the future of how these things are going to be done at the college level. Right. And like everything, you know, the, initially the, they're going to look a little weird. I don't think everybody's going to be a hundred percent on board with it just because it's new and it takes some time to get used to, but I liked it. I liked the idea of it. And the fact that, you know, Gus Malzahn could have just came into UCF and said, Hey, I've made it to a national championship. So we're just going to keep doing things the way that we've always done. And I really appreciate that he's embracing a change. He's, you know, he comes from Auburn where they have two uniforms and now he comes to UCF where every week they're changing it up. So the fact that he's already embracing something different is really promising if you're a UCF fan. Yeah, I so far I've been very happy with the way he's approached everything at UCF as far as the the energy he's bringing, how he's recruiting, uh, being willing to not just be this is how I do things because I'm the old Auburn coach. It doesn't give you that kind of the vibe Tommy Tupperville was giving at Cincinnati of this is my retirement job. And so I think I like the move definitely. Like I said, I looks a little bit goofy. There's going to be an older generation who doesn't quite understand it or thinks that it's players who are being weird, but isn't that life in every aspect? The older generation shakes their fists at the younger one says, no, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just going to be a part of it. And it, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I like it. I, you know, like we both just kind of stated it, it, this is the future, you know, it's going to happen just like the expanded playoff, whether you like this or not, it's going to happen, so you might as well just get on board because it's not – like, honestly, it's not a bad thing, and we're not going to dive into, like, the specifics of why these kids deserve more exposure, deserve to get paid for this stuff. But, like, why is it negative? You know, that people. what is the one excuse that people are going to say is, oh, well, you know, it's just these kids asking for attention, and it's like, well, yeah, they deserve it. You know, it's just yeah. like any other job. It's like athlete, athletes are the only kids in school – that can't do can't capitalize on their extracurriculars because we made up something called an amateur and then all of a sudden we're like well you can't do anything with that that doesn't make any sense you know like if i'm going to school for writing say and i write something that someone wants to pay me for i can get paid for that thing if i go to school for football i can't though if i go to school for music it makes no sense other than someone has said that this is the way it's always been done right and that's just a bad reason to do something exactly so the next one i want to dive into is actually an article that you wrote that i was yeah. it was very interesting uh and i'm, I'm glad that i have a, another aac writer that's putting something out right now it just really it really helps when you know right now we're in the process of buying a house we got a kid so it's not like i have all this free time just laying around to write all these articles i do what i can but it's nice to have everyone so i'm like god thanks dan wrote an article (laughs) but it was your article was we're looking at every aac aac team's non-conference schedule going forward and i thought it was really interesting because one i know how tedious that is to have to look at that but thank thank the lord for fbs schedules because that saves a lot a lot of uh time and, and uh <laughs> yeah all that effort it's it just puts it all so much mind. easier so much easier just go through them uh but yeah basically i was sort of thinking about the ucf's own scheduling thing because that's where i normally think to i said and they're really really behind on that, like future scheduling well, i see you brought scheduling. it up last last episode too yeah i think that's probably what got me started thinking about it but they're behind. They they have I, thirteen. I didn't even get down sch- this far. Holy crap! They only have thirteen games scheduled out of conference going forward, uh, and it's a home and home with Boise State, a home and home with BYU, North Carolina home and home. Then there's Louisville, I think, and after that, it's a bunch of low level. Uh, other g5s and i think you got an fcs game mixed in there this upcoming season with is it famu or bethune cookman or the other one of the two they're gonna beat by 50 yeah the someone like that uh but it's 13 games scheduled total it's incredibly incredibly behind the ball 
Uh, and basically what it comes down to, and we talked again a little bit about this last week, was Danny White had this philosophy of the home and homes. And it's nice to say philosophically you shouldn't do that, but in practicality, this is what it leads to, is just not having games scheduled. And when uh, Terry Mahojar was hired, he and when Gus Malzahn was hired, they said, we're willing to play anyone, but the first few years, we just have to get someone. It's not going to be there's no one available really for those first few years to fill in the gaps now. Right. So it's going to be a couple of lean strength of schedule years for UCF, which the wins will look good, but I, that's about all you can say for it. Right. Especially on new maps. Exactly. And especially since Gus is trying to get them to the college football playoff, you're going to have to get wins over. You might not necessarily have to play the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas, whatever the, of the world, but yeah. you're going to have to play someone better than, you know, Louisville. Louisville's a decent opponent, and at, at one time they were a, a great opponent, but, you know, they're not what yeah. they used to be. Lamar Jackson is gone, and they'll never have a Lamar Jackson probably ever again. North Carolina is mm-hmm. decent, but that's, you know, Mac Brown is obviously the revival there. Yeah. And but, what happens when Sam Howell leaves. Exactly. So you, we don't know what that's going to be. I think the next interesting one is the next lowest team, and that's SMU. And they only have 18 games, and they're all the way out to 2029. I think Mm -hmm. that was the only other one that was really that surprise. Oh, I take that back. Houston has only 20. Yeah, Houston and SMU, they're pretty low as well. What are they waiting for? I don't know on either one of them. Houston seems to be scheduling, or at least trying to schedule a lot of the old Southwestern Conference teams, keeping geographic. They had Texas Tech and Rice on the schedule. Kansas from the Big 12. Those aren't exciting out-of-conference games, frankly. Utah could be good, but that's the other thing is they're not scheduling super exciting games, a lot of these teams. And uh, yeah, But if you, if you think about it, though, they're they're scheduling teams that they've played in the past, and it's not yeah. like UCF where this fan their fan base is super young. You know they have a nice blend of older and younger. So you're you're trying to attract two different types of fans by scheduling the That's old true. teams, and then maybe they are holding out for. I, I don't know who they would schedule, but you know, someone that's going to get the younger generation who maybe mm-hmm. wants just, they don't really care about the history as much. They just want to see a, a big name come to campus. Yeah. I suppose that is true. With the SMU and Houston, especially where they have these older fan bases. Uh, I know SMU has got TCU pretty much every year. They've got North Texas a lot. Those are old rivalries for them. Uh, you know, they've got Vandy on the schedule, which will, hopefully look like a nice sec win because Vandy's almost never all that good, but yeah, no, they're a little bit behind the ball as well in terms of the amount of games they've got scheduled. Did anybody surprise you on the other end? Like where it was anybody had a bunch of games that you thought, Oh dang, that's impressive. I mean, I knew it before I looked into it. I knew USF had a very impressive list of out of conference games coming up because they kind of said when UCF was doing their own thing, we're going to do the opposite and get as many power opponents and as possible. We'll do the two for ones. We just want to get some big names. They've got Notre Dame, Alabama, Miami, Florida, all on their schedule now and coming up in future years. They're going to lose all of them. Basically. I think, you know, maybe in a few years, they'll be better and challenge them more, but at the same time, they've got, they're mostly two for ones, but they've got them coming to Raymond James at some point, which right. is good on USF. It's good on them that they've got like 33, I want to say, games scheduled through. Uh, 32 is what I've got written down here. Yeah, and, and that's, that's like good 60, for them. Yeah, and 50% of their out-of-conference games are Power 5 opponents. That's nice. So, I think that's what yeah. the AAC is trying to get back to is or get to, I should say, because like we've discussed, and you know this has been going on for a while now, the AAC is trying to bridge the gap between them and the rest of the Power 5, and how do you do that? but by scheduling the teams that are in those conferences. And that goes back to, you know, the two for one discussion, you know, we've talked about it. We don't need to dive into it, but to get those two, two for ones now is huge because you need to command the respect. Like winning, winning one game against Auburn isn't enough to get you the respect, you know, keeping it close against a LSU team that would go on to the next year to win the national championship. That's not enough. You have to consistently beat these teams. Yeah. You have to consistently schedule these teams. And unfortunately for you, that means you might get one game at home, 
but you also might get a road game and a neutral site game, which I don't necessarily care about because a team like Houston, neutral site to them is like just down the road. Now, I know that's not the same for everybody. You know, ECU probably has to go to the Panthers stadium or something like that. UCF might have to go to, I don't even know where they would go, but it depends on the schedule too. Yeah, UCF could and play in neutral site game in downtown Orlando at the Citrus Bowl if they wanted to go up to Jacksonville over to Tampa. Those are probably the reasonable places to go. Uh, but yeah, you need to go out and find some. I think ECU is playing at the Panther Stadium against uh, Appalachian State. That's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. This year. Yeah, and then I know Houston's at NRG to play Texas Tech this year. Yeah, that, that'll be fun. And I, I think that, honestly, if I'm a fan, like, I want to go to these places now. Granted, like if you're a Houston fan, going to Energy Stadium means that you get to stay at your house still and go over there. But you know, yeah. it's if you're an ECU fan, it means you get to go to a different part of Carolina and it, you know, it, check it out and see what's going on over there. And that's kind of like a, a mini vacation, and you get to watch a football game. So how can you really complain about that? But you know, I I uh, I really enjoyed the article. It was interesting to see. Uh, because you know you look at it's even fun to go to FBS schedules because when you look at it you see some teams have the full slate and then when you get to like UCF you see well they got two games here a game here and it's it just it really catches your eye quickly when you see USF has a full schedule almost everywhere and then (laughs) UCF is like well we need one or two games every single year yeah oh and the other thing that caught my eye was we've been talking about a little bit like what do you expect out of Tulane what's a successful year what's an unsuccessful year they're out of conference schedule this year is insanely difficult i know well, they this. get oklahoma which is awesome i love that oh, yeah. oklahoma is coming there at yulman yeah exactly yeah. that's awesome and i think also, that honestly just getting those teams there is is just like i don't know it's cool because to a stadium like yulman that's a big win exactly that's not that's a game where you would think in past years they'd say we'll go to new orleans but we're going to the superdome we're not going to you're on campus and it's too small right that's yeah. always what they say it's too small for us right and uh, oklahoma is like the traditional powerhouse that you don't normally see do this so and they were going to yeah. go to army last year so it felt like we kind of got cheated out of that so now we mm-hmm. get the consolation prize of them going to tulane yeah and tulane also has to deal with uab and Ole miss next year at a conference which neither one of those are going to be fun games probably winnable but not fun exactly uh, yeah it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun year for a non-conference play that's for sure and uh it, it'll be interesting to see how this conference fares usually in the regular season it seems like they get a couple big wins and mm-hmm. then uh you know bowl season we won't talk about that but that's usually yeah, goes, rough. it usually goes a different way that's for sure well so let's move on to the final topic for today and it might be the one that takes up the most time espn yeah. came out with their latest fpi rankings now if you if you've followed anything on social media regarding fpi you know that people don't understand that this isn't a person doing these rankings this is this is a bunch of like formulas and simulations put together and whatnot so uh, when you throw in a simulation there's obviously going to be times where things don't make sense and there's a lot that we're going to discuss here and, you know, one of the things we'll have here is, uh, you know, I'll go through each team and or we can discuss each team and we'll talk about their projected win loss record. And we will go we'll go bottom to top here just because I think that's where mm-hmm. we're going to get a lot of more good discussion. And at the end, like we don't really care about the bottom teams. So uh, we will buy their percent chance to win the conference. And so the first two teams, we'll just lump them together uh temple and navy are both at zero percent they have no chance to win the conference which isn't surprising i i think navy deserves to be a little higher based on reputation alone but that's yeah i mean that's the thing with these computer systems is they there's some teams that they very much struggle to rate Uh, i tend to follow more closely to fbi uh, bill conley's sp plus system myself i think a lot of people probably do if they're reading underdog dynasty because Bill Connolly's an old SB nation guy. Bill's great. He's awesome. Yeah. And his is very much based on like returning production, explosive plays gets factored. And there's all these other factors that 
the military academies don't score well on. And I'm assuming FPI probably has a few of these that they don't score well on either just because of the system so antiquated from the rest of college football. How do you judge their incoming talent because they're really not recruiting the same way everyone else is? It's difficult to do. So they're one team, Navy, Army, Air Force, all three of them. Frankly, are teams when you look at these to take a grain of rice where you put them with the FBI had Navy at 111 overall in terms of its team. So, yeah, I don't think that's fair to put them down there. I think they're probably closer to the middle of the pack in the conference than that. Yeah. And, you know, just uh, real quick. So it looks like they have Navy projected at about uh, three and nine this year. Temple is they had three and a half and eight and a half, so they could be four and eight, three and nine, and so that was that was just interesting. Not not like the most interesting, you know. After once we get to the top, we're gonna have way more interesting things. But the next two teams that we have are a, another set of teams that I didn't expect to see them this close together. Uh, the first one is ECU, who has a point one percent chance to win the conference, and USF above them, who's at point two percent. Uh, and it's interesting because ECU has a better projected win loss, but that also, you know, hmm. takes into effect. Probably they have, maybe they An have more winnable schedule. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It also has them within uh, about an eight game easier schedule, whatever you want, but as their 81st USF is 73rd, according to FPI's own stats. So. Right. That's well, probably where that difference is. And I think that if if ECU is finishing below USF this year, I think Mike Houston has to be gone because unless unless USF because I think USF is going to be better, but I I don't think that they're going to be better than ECU in, in terms of being up towards the top of the conference. So if they're yeah. where they are here right now and they finish, they both finish four and eight. I think Mike Houston's got to go. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, I just looked at all their out-of-conference slates, so I know ECU's got a hard out-of-conference schedule themselves. They've got to go to South Carolina. They've got to play App State. Marshall was ranked for most of last season. They've got them on the schedule, too. So they're going to probably disappoint out-of-conference again unless they take a step forward. And in the same breath, though, I just have this gut feeling that ECU's got to compete for a bowl at some point in really should start being this year and if they stick at like three and nine once again yeah you have to start saying like it's not working again the same way it wasn't working with scotty montgomery it might look a little bit better at times now but the results aren't tracking uh but they they should be better than where fpi's got them currently placed i think in usf tough to judge they've got a brand new quarterback again last year's quarterbacks are gone and they did show some improvement as the season went on so where do you put them? Not high, but not the easiest team in the world to play, so I don't think either. Exactly. All right, so now the next two teams that we'll get into will provide us with a little bit more excitement to this discussion. Now, when I'll admit, when I first looked at SMU being next at a 0.4% chance to win the conference, I lost my mind because this, to me, is a team that is super talented offensively, and yeah, their defense needs a little bit of work, but this is a team yeah. that's very much been in the conversation towards the top. Now, have they been able to pull through and actually compete at the, with the top teams? Mm-hmm. No, but they've been there, and you have to be there in order to get a chance. So, I, but then at the same time, you know, we don't know if Tanner Mordecai is going to one win the job or two actually be legit because we haven't seen him play that much, mm-hmm. and. The other thing is that the the defense just we don't really yeah. know, but the projected record for them is about six and six, and I I don't know I think how to feel about that. Yeah, I think they're like you said. We don't know what their offense will look like under a new quarterback. Uh, does it look the way it did before Shane Duchel got there? Because they were not great then. They were fine, but they weren't great by any means under a uh, God. I can't remember his name. Ben uh, Ben Hicks. No, Ben Hicks, yeah. yeah. He put up big numbers, but they still weren't winning a lot of those games. Right. Uh, so do they revert to something more like that? Uh, again, that's going back to even before uh, Sonny Dykes was there to, to an extent. So I don't know how fair that is to say. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the reason they're so low, and again, I'll point out the overall 81st in the country, according to FBI, which I feel is very low for SMU, a team that's been ranked the past two years pretty consistently. 
uh, I really think that that's too low. It's definitely based on the defense and Shane Bouchelle leaving though. So, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to is they just lost a lot of talent and the defense was never that talented to begin with. That's true. Yeah. And but- I think the thing that I ended up on was if, if Vegas comes out and says, that SMU's over under for wins is 5.5. Well, let me ask you this. If the, if Vegas comes out and says their their win total, their projected win total is five and a half, are you smashing the over? Yeah. Yeah, I am without thinking about it too hard. Uh, you know, I just like I know they play TCU out of conference because they always do. And right now, who would you bet in that game? TCU or SMU? I think TCU is getting a lot better, but I, I would probably I, I think it's very, very close. You know, TCU I was taking a couple steps back and I'm not surprised that SMU's been able to beat them, but I I would still probably pick SMU. Uh it's hard because I also like TCU. Yeah, I mean to, to my point though, is you're kind of fifty fifty on the edge. They've got TCU nineteenth in FPI. And I don't think that that's quite right either. Yeah. I think at some point you have to use your eyes and look at what's happening on the field too. Well, that's the, ga- it's the Gary Patterson effect. Yeah. And I mean, they don't have a quarterback at TCU, frankly, and they know who their quarterback's going to be next year. And they don't have a quarterback. You don't like Max Dugan. No, I don't. Oh man. I see. I like him. I, I, I mean, maybe he won't be the guy that I think he'll be, but I, I you know, that, he, but, He's a fine college quarterback. I just don't think he's the guy to get you back to like. Do you like Tanner Mordecai better than Max Dugan? Again, we haven't seen much of Mordecai actually playing, but I'd roll the dice True. on Mordecai before I take Dugan. Oh, I think wow. I like the upside. Wow. Man, this is going to be a hot take podcast. Yeah. No more horned frogs on this podcast. This <laughs> strictly. Uh, but yeah, and then the team ahead of them was or just one spot ahead of them was UCF that we were about to talk about too, which again, feels low by your gut, but I yeah, think for suffered. a team that is, is super talented and, you know, granted, I think they are getting the same treatment with their defense that yeah, the, at SMU is because the, and I don't know, the defense had talent last year, but they really let them down. And again, we talked about this last episode, Josh Heupel just was running that program in the wrong direction and it's just better for them to get a new start. And the fact that they're a 3.3% chance to win the conference shows how, how much he screwed this team up. And the fact that they're projected to have their projected seven and a half wins, that just seems wrong. Now I also understand it, but it also is frustrating because this is a team that should not be that low. You know, I think the seven and a half wins, I know that the, these projections tend to go a little bit low as it begins with, uh, especially for group of five teams, generally speaking, just the way that these computer metrics are done. It, there's this, uh, there's a talent factor that comes into play based on, well, however the formula is designed, they're all designed a little bit differently. Uh, but I look you know, you look at UCF schedule and they're better than an eight and four team. I don't think they're an undefeated team, but Boise state has to come to them this year on a Friday night. It's going to be about a billion degrees in the bounce house. I don't great game. I'm really excited for that game. Uh, I think they go to Louisville this year. Uh, FIU's on the schedule. They'll win the FIU game. Uh, Then there's the FCS game out of conference. I think they're at worst three and one out of conference. I, you know, FCS and FIU they'll beat then go one and one against Louisville, Boise State, whichever one you take at at worst, I think. I think getting conference probably lose to Cincy, but I don't think any other team's definitively better than UCF in conference. Well, and the fact that you see UCF this low tells you who's above them. And that's yeah. that's a concern uh for me. But at the same time, like that's I think that's where you know you get your value bets from uh where yeah. wherever people, you know find their value in bets and they want to do whatever they want with that. But uh, the fact that UCF is this low, especially under the teams that they're below is very concerning. I'll say this. A few of the teams ahead of them made no sense to me when I was looking at it, you know, like I looked at the bottom four. So I was like, all right, that makes sense. I looked at the top four. I was like, there's two teams that do not belong here in my mind completely. Agreed. Uh, and one of those well, teams, well, I guess maybe they don't belong. They do belong, but we'll go one by one now. You know, this 
Tulsa team from last year is honestly, I'm surprised that they're not above UCF because they beat UCF last year, but I'm surprised that they're below some of the teams that they're below given that, yeah, they lose Zayvon Collins and they lose really Zayvon Collins is the only big playmaker that they lose. The one thing with Zach Smith being gone is he provided stability to a program that didn't have any stability at the quarterback position. So that's yeah. also a big loss, but they only lose really two guys that contributed a big portion to their team. Yeah. The issue is it's the quarterback and the conference defensive player of the year that they lost, which yeah, really is true. it. It makes them a complete mystery next year. Uh, if you look at the projected wins, they've got like a one less win projected than UCF, even though they're higher. And that comes to their strength of schedule. They've got to go to Ohio State and to Oklahoma State next year. So that's going to be a fun out of conference. couple of matchups for them. But yeah, no, for Tulsa, it completely comes down to whether or not they replace Zach Smith, I think. Uh, do you find a quarterback who can at least be consistent? You don't need to find a great quarterback. You need a consistent one because the defense will still be good. Yeah, I agree. And the depth of the defense is going to keep them going, keep them afloat while they figure out who the quarterback is. I think it's going to be Davis Brin, but obviously we'll see what happens in the, in the fall. Yeah. The, the next team, honestly, okay, so here's the deal. I cover this team, so everybody should know who that is. And every year I think I've been – over optimistic with this team. Now I feel that I just, I have to be optimistic just because bad things are going to happen. And honestly, preseason is the time to be optimistic for all of these teams because nothing bad has happened yet. And you know, the games haven't been played, so we don't know how good or how bad either team is. But every year I feel like I predict that Houston is going to be a better team than they actually are. And granted, this is a big year for Dana Holgerson but to have them fourth on this list is very interesting. And the fact that they have a 5.2% chance to win the conference over a team that played for a conference championship last year at Tulsa, who was at 3.6 and a team that's dominated the conference for the last few years in UCF is honestly, that, that wasn't the most surprising thing, which is really scary, but the fact that they've done what they've done over the last four years and they're here, I don't know if that's just like people projecting that Dana Holgerson's going to be have his team be better, or what, what do you think that is? I don't know because I thought it made no sense they were that high. I I look at Houston as a team that is a little bit difficult to judge. The first two years of Dana Holgerson have been an experiment and then a pandemic, and that is always going to be difficult to judge, but. I know I don't believe Clayton Toon is the long-term guy who gets you over the hump. He's not going to be like one of the great Houston quarterbacks that we've seen come through. I don't think overnight, you know, Case Keenum was there. He was able to really get them going, but this is Greg Ward, D.R. King. These were guys in recent memory who made Houston a great team. I don't think that's happening with Toon. And now Marcus Stevenson's gone. I don't know why they're that high. I'm still not overly impressed with the defense. The only thing I can think of is that they've got the easiest strength of schedule in the conference, according to FPI at 105th in the country. Yeah. I mean, Texas Texas tech is probably their most difficult uh, non-conference schedule. If I'm remembering correctly, Texas tech is bad. They're bad. Really bad. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I I will say this and I'm going to say this now so that it's on, on record on April 15th when we're recording is that Houston's defense, I really like where they're going. I think they have a lot of dudes that are very explosive. They can make plays. They think there'll be a much better group. The offense might not be. I think the offense is where a lot of people think it is. Maybe a little bit better, but I like where this defense is headed. So we'll definitely see where they go. Eight and four seems like maybe the ceiling. Nine and three is probably the ceiling, but... I think that's on the high end. Yeah, I think that's on the high end too. And I will say I was really high on UCF's defense going into last year too. Oh, don't say that. (laughs) They're going to have two or three defensive backs going like the top two or three rounds of the NFL draft, and they were still one of the worst defenses in the country. So it's okay to have pieces you really like, but sometimes they don't mesh as a unit. Here's the thing. Houston doesn't have any like individual pieces that are like better than the others, but – I think that they have a good amount of talent 
and in some good depth that that's going to help them out. I don't think they have uh, Peyton Turner this year, but I don't, yeah. I think that's, what's good for them is that they don't have, you know, just like UCF had you, Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson and Tay Gowan, you know, you don't have mm-hmm. guys that you lean heavily on because you have a team that's not equal across the board, but there's a lot of talent, maybe not a ton of elite talent, but there's a lot of good talent, which makes that a good unit. So I think that's what makes them a little bit different, but don't make me go back on my take stand. It's not very nice. I do like having a team that no longer has it all around the defense. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Well, you look what happened when Ed Oliver was at Houston. It was, he was like, he was it. Yeah. As long as but you blocked Ed Oliver with three other guys, you're fine. If you can handle you one of them. Well, yeah, and hurt him. Thanks a lot, Navy. But, yeah. Now we get into the interesting part. Yes, the this top is, three. This is the interesting part, the top three. And the, the end, either way, no matter if we did this from the top team to the bottom or bottom to the top, the end is going to be anticlimactic, so that should tell you who's at the top. But the next team, yeah. who's third, and I disagree with this, is the Memphis Tigers. A 16.9% yeah. chance to win the conference, projected wins of about 9-3. and three. Honestly, here's the thing. Memphis was super good under Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell, and if you told me that they were third, I would be outraged for a different reason because mm-hmm. I think that they should have been a top one or two team. But mm-hmm. to me, they lose their starting quarterback. They don't have a difference maker at running back. Calvin Austin's a stud. Sean Dykes is good. Dylan Parham is decent on offense. But there's not a lot that just screams at me that they're an elite offense anymore. And last year, you know, it felt like Brady White kind of bailed them out. And honestly, no offense to Brady White because he was a good quarterback. But Brady White is not a focal point of any offense. No, no, he's not losing Shane Bouchard. And that's the thing that I wonder about with this. SMU takes this big fall as they were a questionable defense that's losing its starting quarterback. Memphis was a questionable defense that's now losing starting quarterback, top wide receiver. And I don't see what the difference is between the two at all, really. I mean, we've talked in, in past episodes about how Memphis has got a lot of transfers coming in and out of the program, both directions. So they're a little bit hard to judge in that regard. But to me, this was a Memphis team last year that should have lost two or three more games than it did, but really kind of got lucky in close situations. You know, UCF missed a kick. They were able to hold off like Temple and USF. Those are not teams that should have been close to Memphis within two, three scores, but they had pretty close games with them. So, you know, Navy was another one. So I think that's a team that last year's record was inflated. And I think it's a team that's definitely too high this year for one who has the same problems as other teams that are lower on this list. Well, and they had a lot of close wins last year. And, you know, I, Phil Steele's a guy who does his magazines. And one mm-hmm. of the things that he says is close wins and close losses one year flip the other way the next year. So yeah. if you're a team that's just barely getting by, which Memphis is one of those teams, we talked about this mm-hmm. two episodes ago. They beat Houston, USF, and Navy by a combined seven points, and those three teams went seven and twenty last year. So not teams you should be close to. Exactly. Well, and here's the thing: I, I need Memphis fans on it. If you're a Memphis fan and you're listening to this, I love the Memphis Tigers and what they have been doing over the last few years. I think that they have been one of the more exciting teams to watch in the conference. It's just that I don't, I don't see what all of you see in your team now the other day we had someone comment that they have eight returning starters on defense that's great because returning returning experience is big whether even if it's bad because at least you learn something whereas if you have a new guy that's very hit or miss you at least have some Mm -hmm. stability there but this is a defense that wasn't great and it wasn't like they were, you know, there were missed assignments everywhere. Yes, there's talent, but you have, you know, Julian Barnett supposed to come in and be the next TJ Carter. Quindell Johnson on the backside is Quindell Johnson's a stud. I'll just say that. So, so we at least get something positive on the podcast about that. Quindell Johnson's a good player. I really like watching him play. But everybody else really, maybe Morris Joseph on the at defensive end is is solid too. But 
overall you have guys that can be good, but I don't know if they can make a difference to keep this team where they need to be. And honestly, Grant, if Grant Cannell is your solution, which maybe he needed a new start, but he didn't exactly dominate at Arizona. So I don't know why people just think all of a sudden he's going to be the next Riley Ferguson or Paxton Lynch. Yeah. I mean, he, people have been all over Grant Cannell and I'm not a hundred percent sure why, because I never saw a reason to be, but you never know there. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing, but yeah. And I agree with what you were just saying too. Like I like the Memphis program overall, they've been turning so far in the right direction from where they are historically in the past decade that good for them. It's okay to have a reset year though. And I think that's just what this is. I think it's just a reset year for them. I think they're just a little bit too highly rated across the board, wherever you look. Uh, But that's also the thing about doing the computer metrics this year. They're really difficult to do after last year. Teams played different amounts of games last year. You know, if you look at the bottom three teams, it's New Mexico State, UConn, UMass. UMass played four games. The other two teams didn't play at all. Shout out out to UMass, the uh, national champions of uh, college hockey. hockey. Yes, absolutely. Beat Minnesota Duluth and then uh, St. Cloud State for that. Blew out St. Cloud State 5 nothing. count it. Uh, now that I'm sidetracked. Uh, yeah, no, we all know UMass was terrible last year, though, but the other two didn't play, so how do you put them in order? It's difficult to do. How do you put the team that played six games and had major COVID issues that wiped out half their team for half the season versus a team that really didn't deal with any of that? it's almost impossible to do. Plus everyone's returning more players than they're used to because of the COVID exemptions. So all these metrics are difficult to do this year. And I think Memphis is an example where it's really hard to take in these out, these circumstances into account when you're doing a mathematical formula, it doesn't leave room for that. Exactly. All right. We're going to skip ahead to number one real quick. Uh, just because it's boring and we all know that Cincinnati's the favorite to win the conference. I don't think anybody is going to argue that. And, you know, I, I just, it's, you know, that's, I just don't think yeah. that it's, it's anybody else should be even close to them. They are clearly the dominant team. They have a ton of returning experience at 51.3% to win the conference. I was a little surprised at the projected nine and three, maybe 10 and two record, but at the same oh, time, they play the conference, right? They play yeah. Indiana and Notre Dame. So I, I'm, I mean, real quick, do you have any yeah. real like thoughts about Cincinnati other than what we already know? Not really. I know that they have to play Cincinnati hall of famer, Brian Kelly this season, <laughs> which that's where been... I forgot about that, that connection. Yeah. That's where he was right before Notre Dame. He was, the last coach before Fickle, who had them truly great, in my opinion, too. Uh, they weren't going to the Sugar Bowl in his final year before he left for Notre Dame. Got blown out by Florida, but who's keeping track of that type of thing? Yeah. Uh, I think Gunnar Keel was the quarterback. <laughs> Anyways, I seems, thought to, seems to be a trend with Brian Kelly teams in the postseason. Whoosh, shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Anyways, though, they're 27th overall in FPI. I thought that was a little bit low considering Mississippi State found themselves number eight overall in FPI. And yeah, that was know what stupid. They were last year. Yeah, there was a few ones that were just stupid. Texas Tech was 21st. I, this was another one I meant to bring up back at SMU, so I'm going to sidetrack us. Rutgers, 79. Syracuse, 80. SMU, 81. Give me a break. Those teams are not better than SMU. Syracuse even. is going to get steamrolled by Liberty again this year, so I don't know yeah. what that's all about. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like Dino Babers, but he's got a very bad football team up yeah. there. And yep, 100%. It's not entirely his fault. Syracuse is not in a position to recruit anyone. No. But those are not teams that are better than SMU. I'm sorry. Right. And you, you, you're always going to have teams that are, you know, it's regardless of rankings, whether it's someone's personal rankings or if it's an actual computer system simulation, whatever, there's always going to be some teams that are way too high. You know, obviously Mississippi State being eighth is a joke. And obviously there needs to be some tweaking, but like you said, it, like we said, it's, it's a computer. There's a bunch of, yeah, there's, no there's a bunch of things to going it. it. Right. Exactly. So, you know, it is what it is and people need to understand that. But at the same time, it's also fun to get outrage. And speaking of outrage, what is Tulane doing at second? What is roll this? Wave, baby roll what, wave. What is this now? This don't don't get me wrong. I, okay. Here's the thing. I think Tulane is a solid team. I don't think anybody's saying that they're a bad team, but to have them second, what is going on? 
I don't get that. I don't understand that. Yeah, nothing that makes sense, at least as far as I can tell, because Tulane is not a bad football team. They're a team who we know is going to have a pretty good quarterback and some solid pieces on the defense. They're a team that we've seen in past years can get a lot of really good skills, guys at wide receiver and running back to build around. They're also a team we have not really seen win more than six regular season games in the Willie Fritz era. Before that, basically back to 98, they haven't won more than that. So it's hard for me to think that they're the second best team in any conference that they're in all of a sudden. Uh, Yeah, I think they belong closer to where UCF and SMU are on this list than where they are here. Roll wave and good for them because I do like to and I do want to see them succeed. But that's too high, and I'm not sure. I'm just trying to think of one good reason why they're that high, and I can't really come up with a part of me is like also also not really that mad because it's like Tulane has some of their jerseys are so crazy and fun to to look at, and this is a team that has super underrated players that you you're you know a lot of people don't know about even within the AAC. So part of me can't really be mad, but at the same time it's like what is Tulane doing second? Like what kind of simulations are you running? Did Michael Pratt just all of a sudden become Trevor Lawrence or what? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've never had a bad interaction with a Tulane fan, so let them have the imaginary uh win that comes with this, but I don't see I just I'm thinking last memory I have of them is the potato bowl where they looked kind of lost. So I don't know, maybe they're getting a bump for having a former Notre Dame uh, offensive coordinator. No, it's a fourth at least. Former, former uh, Memphis offensive coordinator too. So yes. So yeah, that's, that's the way uh, we should look at it first and foremost. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But I, that was probably the most perplexing, confusing yeah. anything that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, the other thing that's weird about those FPIs got their strength of schedule at 51st, which at a glance doesn't sound all that tough or doesn't, but it's the second hardest strength of schedule in the conference. Uh, Tulsa at 40th is the only one who's harder. So I don't, I don't know where they're getting that high from. Well, this maybe, maybe they'll prove us wrong. Maybe they will win more than six games. And we, you know, we, you and I talked about that earlier and it just seems like this is a team that's stuck at six and six and seven and five. And if fans are okay with that, then sure, go ahead and be excited about six and six and seven and five. But it looks they're projected to win eight games this year, according to FBI. But I don't think that they, the out of conference schedule that I talked about earlier, right? With with uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma and just yeah, oh yeah, right? Yeah, so it's it's uh. They could have three losses there. Probably not to UAB, but they could. UAB I, is solid. Yeah, I think they probably leave out of conference play two and two, if we're being honest. Uh, they could be Ole Miss. Ole Miss doesn't play any defense, so if they get them into the right kind of shootout by a couple stops, probably won't beat them, but they could. They're, yeah, they're not going to shoot out got, with Ole Miss. I don't think they stand a chance in any form of hell, any – whichever circle you're in, they don't stand a chance of beating Oklahoma though. Yeah. And but it's I think good that Oklahoma's coming to new Orleans. We talked ex- about that earlier. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, uh, when they play Ole Miss, I think both teams need to wear all baby blue and just, yes. we just deal with that. Just I don't care it. that they're wearing the same color. Everybody needs to wear baby yeah. blue. Whenever we'll we wear, wear different blue. pants. Ole Miss can wear the white pants. Sure. Then Tulane can wear the baby blue. Sure. We'll yep. go don't white care. Jersey, baby blue. Yeah. Don't we'll care. Just... Whatever you want. Everybody wears baby blue. The helmets too. Helmets and jerseys can be the same. Wear different pants. Yep. Don't care. Got to get them to schedule North Carolina too. There we go. Yep. All baby blue. And then they can play uh, Southern. Southern also has baby blue. Citadel for their FCS. Citadel. Game. There you go. Yep. And then <laughs> let's just make them non-conference and we'll just find all of Columbia. The, There's Columbia. There you go. See? Yeah. See, we, should be, we should be scheduling Tulane's non-conference. They or just their entire schedule. Based strictly on colors, yes. Yes, based Very. strictly on colors. That's how you should do things. We just talked about non-conference and how they need to schedule things based strictly on colors. So there we go. We have it almost all baby blue lineup. we got five teams scheduled. I think that we're doing a pretty good job already. So Tulane, if you need someone to figure out your schedule, Dan and I are for hire. So <laughs> hit us up. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, no, Rhode Island. Yeah, see look at us go look at us go off yeah. the tongue right exactly that's half the schedule right there we basically put together half the schedule of baby blues and you know what i think they're going 
solid five and one in that schedule. Hey, that's fine. I like that. I, I like that. All right. Well, that does it for this episode. Thanks for putting up with our rants, with our baby blue talk. And, and that, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but next week we will be doing something a little special. Uh, before I dive into that, uh, make sure you're following underdog dynasty on Twitter and that you are subscribed to the podcast leave us a review let us know how we're doing if you have any questions things you want to hear discussed on the podcast we are open to anything we just talked about putting together an all baby blue schedule so clearly we have no lives and would love to talk about whatever you want us to talk about as long as it's not too intellectual or nerdy because like i said we literally just put together six games of teams that have the same color jersey as Tulane. so (laughs) if that tells you about our intelligence level then you know I, I shouldn't yeah. say that. May I'll speak for Listen. myself, but you can you know follow us yeah. on Twitter. You can follow me at Joe Broback. You can follow Dan at Dan underscore Morrison ninety six. And yeah, like I said, you give us a follow and let us know how we're doing. The AAC is a conference that's growing, and I think that this is a podcast that will grow too because we'll have more things to talk about. And this is going to be an interesting off season as now we get to look forward to hopefully more of a new year. In the meantime, though, however, we have an exciting announcement. So normally we have the podcast split up by conference, and right now it's just really the AAC and Conference USA, and Joe and Eric are the ones that do the Conference USA podcast, and next week we are joining forces, so it's going to be all four of us trying to talk at once, and uh, I know that Joe and Eric are a good time. The last time I did uh, the draft podcast with them, and they was I, I was laughing the entire time. So if yes. that tells you what it is, it's going to be an NFL draft mega podcast, and it's going to be all four of us there. So make sure you're tuned into that. Hear who we like, who we don't like, why all these takes that people have nowadays about Justin Fields and Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are all ridiculous. Maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we won't, but we will be talking for sure. Conference USA and AAC prospects. And I think it's going to be a really good time. So make sure you stay tuned. And until next time, we'll come back to you with double the amount of speakers. Mm-hmm.